Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey there, I'm Steph and I'm Simon and welcome to the Food Fight where we offer a different perspective on food culture issues around Australia and the world. We'll talk with chefs, producers, business owners and experts to hear their stories and find out what makes them tick. This episode we're speaking with John Rally from Textbook Patisserie in Sydney about his double life as a fine patissier and a wild game hunter. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of The Food Fight. I'm Stefan Postuma, one of your hosts, with my co-host here, Simon Evans. Hello. And we're here with John Rally from Textbook Patisserie in Alexandria. G'day, John. Thanks for having me. Okay, guys, we start our podcast with an acknowledgement of country, and we're on Gadigal country here in Sydney. So we'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, who are the traditional custodians of the land that we are speaking and gathering here today on, and pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. All right, guys, let's start the podcast. John, we're sitting here in, uh, in Alexandria in, uh, on a terrible, terrible rainy day. But for people who don't know um, much about Textbook Patisserie, give us a bit of an overview of what you do just to get started. Uh, so Textbook Patisserie, um, I've had now, I've opened it up from the start, about five, five and a bit years now. Um, mainly, again, from I did my apprenticeship, a bit about myself, I guess, apprenticeship in the patisseries, but then was... In restaurants for the last 15 years or whatever it's been and uh always like patisseries but just wanted to you know i like the whole restaurant side of things as well where they're always changing and a lot of bakeries and patisseries you go to it's kind of the same old same old day in day out so it gets quite repetitive so i guess opening my own place was being able to do whatever i wanted so that was my ultimate goal and change up things as much as i can did you like so, you said you got your start in patisseries themselves. Did you did you sort of always know you wanted to work with food and be a chef? Uh, not really. It was, I guess, you know, there's no story bullshit behind it. It's just uh, <laughs> I never wanted to be a chef when I was young. I don't know what I wanted to be. Um, just got into it. Mm-hmm. You know, left school, found a job, a few uh, fell through, and then end up in a bakery. So right. Yeah, that's how it happened. <laughs> and so what was your first job in the bakery? Were you just sort of like back of house helping prep and all that sort of thing? Uh, they say you want to do an yeah, apprenticeship? Yeah, I did an apprenticeship. So yeah, okay. I pretty much, yeah, did, did a trial. And they're like, yep, we'll give you an apprenticeship. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily, I started off in a good patisserie. So I got good skills, good basic skills and good knowledge and understanding. So went from there. That's probably like key for anyone looking to take an apprenticeship is your first couple of places you work are yep. pretty key. I think that can set you up. I mean, especially like a lot of people do just... You're just like, oh, I just got a job there and just did it because I wasn't going to do anything else. Yeah. Um, like, I can really kind of make or break. Yeah, I guess I was lucky. Career. I didn't really do research. I just kind of like, yeah, it's yeah, close well, to yeah. me. And uh, luckily, luck they were it. good enough. And <laughs> he was an amazing boss. So, mm. really pushed me to... I wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't because of him. Where so. was that? Where, which Down the Southern Highlands. Oh, okay. Is that where you're from? Uh, grew up around that area, yep. Yeah, okay. So, Cool. Which one was it? The Gumnut. Gumnut. <laughs> in, uh, where is they it? They got a couple of shops Berima. around there. They got a, one in Berrima, one, one in, in Minigong, Barrel. Barrel. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Say, definitely a good place to start. Mm. Good old Gumnut. I, um, <laughs> I yeah. made that a Southern Highlands cookbook a while ago. Yeah, okay. Had, uh, Nico and all that. Recipes. From, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. James, and I think I saw that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, was there something about pastry in particular that sort of, as you said, you sort of went and worked in, in kitchens and things like that too, but always gravitated towards the pastry section and patisserie and that sort of thing? Yeah, I guess I like the kind of artistic side of it. So yeah. I, kind of, I, I like that a lot, you know, 
decorating stuff and making things look pretty. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Mm. And yeah, I just always I was always into a bit of art back in the day. So I guess when I got into that, it was like a bit more working with your hands and foods. Yeah, just, you know. I think you can see that like across quite a lot of things for people who are from an arts background or a creative like that when they go into food especially something like pastry like you said yep. it's, it's very kind of aesthetic they do excel with that 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 just kind of eye for things yeah um, so I guess the same with kind of a lot of industries where people from a kind of arts background go into it but it seems like there's not too much of that in the cooking world where possibly maybe because it's, it's kind of more of a, a trade when you start yeah um, before you get to kind of do those actual artistic things but it's, yeah it's definitely interesting seeing people um, as they progress from that kind of arts background mm. Did you, so you, but you sort of like really uh, went full on with the artistic side of thing and did some, did some competitions in yeah. Europe and all that sort of stuff. I'd like to just sort of briefly talk about that world because it's, it's a huge thing, all the, the sugar and the pastry competitions and all that sort of work that you can do over in Europe. Um, I don't know anything about it. What's that like? Yeah, so kind of, well, my boss from the government patisserie did a lot of that back in the day, so he was always pushing you to do competitions to better yourself and so on. So mm. that's where I guess I got the love of sugar art and chocolate art and all that sort of stuff and building sculptures out of sugar and chocolate. What's, the, what's it like, though? Like, what's the process of entering a competition? Do you have to, like come up with like a concept like ages in advance and be like all right how are we going to put this together how are we going to yeah, a lot of it's all concept and a theme towards it and then you kind of go from there yeah um yeah and yeah i guess i was just doing a lot of a lot of it in my spare time and then a couple of people saw it and picked me up and how do you yeah. get how do you get like so you did some competitions in europe yeah i've been a bit all over the place yeah uh, okay. but it's taken me all around the world I lived in london for five years and in michelin star restaurants and yeah bakeries, patisseries and a bit all over the place but yeah the competitions took me yeah all over mm-hmm. and yeah. how do you do you like have to transport all your gear and all that sort of stuff is this like a yeah, big a lot logistical of was, yeah a lot of it was where we had a bit of a team that kind of organised all that sort of stuff and um, yeah worked with some amazing people learnt some amazing things along the way so yeah I think the kind of the comp- cooking competitions in Europe are a, bit, a little bit yeah. different ones in Australia they're very <laughs> classical and old like and even like the sort of savoury cooking competitions, the stuff they come up with is like pretty fucking wild. Yeah. Like it's, it's very like over the top, almost kind of um, a bit, bit too over the top. But yeah, it's, it's, it's all very artistic, very beautiful, um, but kind of not really realistic. No, it's not. Um, it, it's a complete kind of game in, yeah, yeah. compared to yeah. cooking. Some of those competitions I went to and like the chef side of things and all that, it's all like plastic food. It's like fucking... Yeah. Eh, it's not really it's, edible. Yeah. It's not. And it's like, that's what kind of got... You know, got a got a bit over it with all that sort of stuff, all the politics and bullshit yeah. behind it. And yeah, it seems like it's kind of uh, an interesting to to push yourself, test yourself. Yeah. you know, like an yeah. excuse to go and travel a bit. Yeah, it was fun while while it lasted, and mm. you know, that was it. Yeah, wouldn't want to spend fucking a week on a sugar piece now. Could be fucked. Is that <laughs> yeah. how, like, is I that mean, how long they take? Some some would like you know, you could probably do it. They do like a eight hour competition, but a lot of the stages are done. I guess by the time you're thinking about something, get it all in place, make molds and all the bullshit behind it do you think that you like do you think that there's some skills and some things that you got out of that competition work because that's obviously a different level when you've got that amount of time to spend on something that that you brought to textbook and like the pastry that you're doing now it makes you yeah a lot more organised I guess you know you've got everything in place I guess it gives you that kind of you know how to work faster or you know Mm, how to structure everything yeah put everything in place and put a schedule and a system together. I that guess restaurants be. were like that too, so it was kind yeah. of, you know... I see, mm. like, like, pastry that level is kind of... I mean, it's, is it more kind of um, art and engineering than, than yeah. a lot of anything yeah. else? It's a lot of uh, mould-making and yeah. just thinking of how to put things together and so on. Mm. Yeah, so I, think, I think you need a knack for it. Like, I can't think of of much worse than <laughs> spending my time <laughs> like fucking with sugar like <laughs> just generally I'm just like <laughs> it was fun when it, when it, when it lasted you know mm, kind of yeah. got obsessed with it but then yeah, yeah. was it because there is always that divide of, of I mean and almost most chefs will consider themselves kind of savoury chefs yep. and not pastry chefs which I think is, is a kind of bad way of looking at it like dessert should be should be as important there's obviously a limit a limit to what you kind of learn because you very much have to specialise in pastry but if you sort of always just gravitated toward the sweet side of the pastry side no I've done I've done savoury as well I've been in kitchens as a sous chef with a mate actually who mm. I worked in London with he came back and opened a 
um, restaurant here. It's Koi. It was a Japanese restaurant in Woolwich. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Um, we've got the one hat there. Um, and, yeah, it's kind of cooking all the savouries there. Mm. So I love cooking savoury. I just hate being in a kitchen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> like, you know, day in, day Full out, working and 18 hour days. And yeah. Which, you know, I loved it at the time. And London was like that. It was just full on. It was just, you never, never slept. Yeah. It was just work. Yeah. Mm. And when so was the decision to open textbook then, because I think this is something interesting to explore. It's like some chefs, like I guess the goal for a lot of chefs is to open your own business, right? Mm. And depending on the business model, like some chefs are in their own kitchens as much as you would be as if you were a head chef exactly. or, or whatever. Like, is, is, the, is the model of a, of a patisserie like yours, like, being able to, to put that together in a way that allows you to have a work-life balance and that sort of thing too? Well, yeah, at first, when I first opened it, I was like, I was working those many hours anyway. Yeah, I was like, I may as well just do it for myself. Mm. Um, mm. And it was exactly that. And, yeah, I still do have my weeks. Like, I'll push on if mm. I have to, but I'll try not to. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I've just got good staff at the moment, so I'll try to keep keep that as good as possibly and look after everyone so they stay with me and so on and we can grow that way yeah but yeah i don't want to work day in day out for the rest of my life i want to i'll get out a lot so yeah as much as i can we'll talk my about days it. off um just finishing off a bit more about what you do here like do you want to give us a bit of an explanation of the type of patisserie and and stuff that you do here if people aren't familiar with what you do so i guess it's kind of it's all kind of classic french techniques but we try to put a modern twist on things um, so yeah, using again local ingredients and so on. Um, we use just anything and everything, whatever whatever's in season. We'll just yeah change it up when we can. I guess we've been quite known for our kind of bicolor croissants and that sort of stuff, which mm. kind of kicked off textbook, I guess. Um, yeah, the one we first started was like the truffle croissant we started, mm. and that kind of got you know seen around a lot. So that kind of mm. got us on the map and just went from there. Mm. What was the what was like? Why did you why did you want to start doing these sort of a bit sort of out of the box croissants and things like that? I guess we, I mean, croissants are a pretty big deal these days. Like yeah. there's there's you see croissants in the media and in general. Like Simon and I were talking to uh, talking about it on the way up here that like especially on social media, there's this there's this world of bake baked goods and patis- patisserie lovers out there that that are just into it. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I guess I just got bored doing the same old plain croissant. So I was like, "Why? What can I do different?" Yeah, so that's all it comes down to, I guess. Mm. Really? Go from there. Simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do enough. something different. How interesting? Because, like, yeah, we've seen this. Is there's a lot of, like, Instagram seems to love baked goods, and you get a lot of followers, a lot of traction, or likes. Yeah. How much of does that kind of um, push the the business forward and helped you out? I think is there has there been a, a market effect of yeah, having yeah. these very Instagramable pictures and then well, leading to more customers? I guess that's where it all started. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so. Um, it just, I guess it went off. I was doing little videos on my Instagram and that sort of shit when mm. I first started. Not not thinking anything was going to take off. I just, yeah. you know, I just do random shit all the time <laughs> like on, and put it on Instagram. Um, and yeah, I guess it was seen and shared and, you know, that's when it goes viral and all that sort of stuff. And mm. before you know it, it just went off. Mm. And that's exactly how it happened. It was just overnight kind of thing. It was like... Really? Mm, yeah. So is there like a moment for you when certain certain things got shared and then like... A week later, you had a line out the door, and you're like, "Shit, what the hell's this?" Yeah, I think it started with that truffle croissant, but yeah, yeah right. it was again. I only want to do it because I like truffling something different with croissant. I know, so. it sounds delicious. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like the fact that I think there's so many people when opening a new business, they're like looking for like what's our Instagramable dish. Yeah, yeah. I like the fact I, that you were just fucking people around. Try to, people try people to. try to fucking hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. And that's yeah, where yeah. It's, it's where you see all this over top of, like over the top shit, and you know, I hate, I hate looking at it. It's like yeah. they've just thought about this way too much. Just fucking yeah. It's, it's like the the fucking the, the big stacked up fucking burgers. Yeah, big oh, stacked up yeah. burgers, and people like froth them, and it's like that's a foot tall. Yeah, that's a fucking foot tall. What are you gonna do with that? Yeah. <laughs> like we're gonna, gonna take it apart. But that's what they all say. Let's make it Instagramable. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but What's the, Instagramable. I don't yeah, know. yeah. I mean, the, over the, the top shit. Thing being <laughs> yeah. is, is, like you said that like if you can find something. That is picturesque, looks looks great, yep. that gets shared, that can have a, a mass effect in your business. Yeah. And people go out there and just, like, they try too hard as well, like they tag in everyone possible so they yeah, can get oh, the yeah, shares. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So I guess there is a, is a... I try not too hard in it. Yeah. It's, it's hard to tell other people be like, so get an Instagramable dish, but don't actually try and get an Instagramable dish. <laughs> don't care about it. Don't, don't try too hard, but definitely get one because that will help you. <laughs> it's our advice. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> bit over the top, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't Go know. Go to the top, you. but don't be a twat. 
You see, it, <laughs> work, it, it works though. Like it, it, well, yeah, it fully yeah. works. Like it, and if if it's done right, like I, that muffaletta sandwich at A One Canteen yeah. in the city. I remember when they when that restaurant opened. That was that's like all I saw on Instagram. I was like, yeah. everyone's eating this sandwich. Like, yeah, and it, yeah, like it looks great and stuff like that. But they did like I mean, how much social media attention can you get from one sandwich? That's sandwich. great. Like yeah. I mean, well done. Yeah, I guess well, like it, it was like that for um, Chris from Blackstar. Yeah, yeah, strawberry yeah. watermelon cake. Like that was the one. Yeah. Fucking same shit. It was just. I got. I don't think he meant to do it. It just happened, and yeah, before yeah. you know it, he's that's all he's selling. Mm. <laughs> do, you, do, do you do you find like you get this weird like people know, people sort of then know who you are via Instagram, and you, you're getting DMs, and you're getting like influencers approaching you. Oh, all and, the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck. Do you get like so something that Simon and I follow quite closely is. Couscous for comment. Jonathan <laughs> Jonathan <laughs> Lethlin's like calling out of influence or influencers. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you get a lot of that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, there, there's been a few issues with those. So yeah. again, um, didn't end well. But I haven't had them for a while. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I usually just tell them what I think. No, yeah, really or just me. or just buy your croissants. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've had but one guy in here I remember quite well, and he was like, I. You know, I'm here. I'm going to do this. I'm like, I don't give a fuck who you are. Like, <laughs> you can pay for my the fucking. So, yeah. yeah, but yeah, it's just. Yeah, I mean, just people. Are, some people are just fucking special. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they're probably in some worlds and some like in clothing, like having some like a popular influencer can make a massive difference to your business. Yeah, I mean, like, like, do you think there's there's maybe more of a like restaurants? I don't think there's too much of a knock on effect. Like when you have like an influencer come in and take some pictures, but do you reckon it in pastries where that Instagram following can make a big difference? I think it, it, I think it does. Like for the right, we person. still want to give, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah, and and for the right person, if you know, but they usually come in, they buy their stuff, and then they tell me, you know, yeah, I mean, right. they they don't go there asking for free stuff, yeah, you know, yeah, and they're the ones that usually make the difference, and, yeah, you know, exactly, they yeah. do it on their own back and promote yeah, me, and sure. then I'll promote them after that, mm. yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of good people out there doing that, so. But you do get your, yeah, your tosses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That one for was it? I tried too hard again. Yeah, one, one from Bulletin Place is like my favourite one. Oh, the Bulletin Place <laughs> yeah, guy that was like you're like, a relevant bar or yeah, whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> they changed it. Some changed their bio to like a relevant bar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we need to get John on the podcast and just discuss this issue as a whole podcast because it's hilarious. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's an interesting one though. Like, I mean, it's an interesting analogy you make with fashion and stuff like that because, like, now. I guess it's different depending on you know what your organization is but like every you know fashion label that is like reasonably like successful social media partnerships are a part of their market strategy for all new products and things like that it's just weird that in the food world it's like people approaching chefs like it's like Mm. if it's a part of your marketing strategy you go out and you find these people that will be an asset to your business but it seems weird that in the food world everyone like all these influencers can sort of think hey we love your like croissants we love your food like come and give us we'll give you a free meal give us a free meal and it's like the difference is is the people who like the ones you see in couscous for comment are literally just like they they're just they've gone to like Melbourne, and they just want to eat for free for a weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. And stay at some free hotels. So they just pepper everyone with a message. Yeah, and someone's going to reply happens. back. Yeah, yeah like they, they've got no interest in actually helping your business. No, they ain't give a fuck. They, yeah, yeah, <laughs> couldn't give a shit at all. They, they literally just want a little free night out. Yep. And it just gives them more content, you know, they can put and be like, look, I'm an influence. Like, mm. yeah. So yeah, like, so it's. It's, it's the, a weird world on Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it is a strange one, especially like it's something that's only like, you know, this, this wasn't part of our apprenticeships. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. You know, Instagram years ago. It's like, yeah, yeah. So like, <laughs> this was not an aspect of anything that you knew about, or even like learned from. You know, like my old head chef was fucking useless on social media. Yeah. So it's not even something like you could learn from something else. Like, you know, people who are owning businesses right now, we're, we're very much learning on the fly of how the fuck this works. Well, it was, it was like that when we first opened. Like, I hated Instagram. I kind of mm. went on it just for the business, but I was trying to run it myself as well. And then, yeah. I guess when things did take off, I was like, oh fuck. Like, you know. Yeah. And you, you did see how it worked. So I was like, well, you know, it is getting people at the door. Yeah, and it really sure. did work. It was like, yeah, yeah. but it was, yeah, it was a weird one. Yeah. But I never thought, you know, that was ever going to happen. Mm, mm. Do you think that there's an issue? Do you think, like, uh, Simon, I reckon we've got to do a podcast just about Instagram and its influence on food culture <laughs> in the food world because it's been massive. And, like, do you think that there's an issue with, a lot of businesses out there who 
might have the best product and like the best service and the best restaurants. Like I've made cookbooks in, you know, four different regions of New South Wales with everyone from high profile chefs to Thanks. people who, <coughs> no worries, Simon, <laughs> always bigging you up. Um, but like, like, for example, you know, I'll just use Sharif Kaya from the Ottoman in Canberra as an example. He is a, a Turkish bloke. Um, been running that restaurant for like a couple of decades, maybe 30 years or something like that. It got, it's, it's had a hat for God knows how long and now, and, and it's had two every yeah, now and then and things like that as well. But you just do not see it on social media because like, it's just one of those traditional places yeah. that's just, and like, are we in this weird place now where to be a relevant restaurant, you actually have to have social media or are, are you going to like and and sort of be really active on that and be a part of the conversation on Instagram or like are we at risk of sort of losing some of these really genuine interesting places that are run by someone like Sharif who has absolutely no interest in social media um, but like they just sort of fade into obscurity a little bit because they're not on Instagram and they're not like part of that yeah, know, culture. Uh, there are a lot of restaurants like that that just tick over and they, they're busy and you know they don't exist on Instagram and it's, it'd be awesome if I didn't have to do that as well but it was I guess that's where it just ended mm. like it's nothing yeah. I set out to do it was just didn't think anything was going to take off I just you know did it just because you did it yeah because you're supposed to do it and then yeah I mean I think possibly kind of um, yeah I mean ethnic restaurants are the kind of ones that they wouldn't have this just maybe this knowledge of social media um and you see those sort of small little gems around who don't like might have a Facebook that gets updated once every couple of weeks. Um, mm. But I guess yeah, there is kind of a, a miss now. But also, I think people on the flip, people like discovering that that little space, that little spot that's not on social media, it isn't kind of blowing up. Yeah, and people like people quite like that. Yeah, but is like so word of mouth is pr- still sort of strong enough to keep you to keep you busy, like in that yeah, sort of thing. Like, I mean, busy enough maybe to do like one thing. I think like if like next restaurant I end up doing I think like the visual and social media is definitely something I'm going to take more account of yeah um, and and making sure you know, your, your social media presence looks great I think it, you know it can make a difference and you know whether that's you get someone else to do it or you, you learn more about it yourself I think, it, I think it's just it's going to be quite important and probably more important going forward mm. Especially Weird. if people are just still going to be scared to fucking leave the house in <laughs> over the next couple of years, like like they're going to be looking online about where, where am I going to go to pop out and go back home, or where I'm going to order from, you know, from from my house. Well, that's it. Most most people are getting delivery and all this crap these days. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, I can't say too much. I get it, but it's like <laughs> yeah. it's against everything I believe in. And yeah, was yeah. that was that a consideration at all? People have hit me up to do it. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not doing it. Fuck that. I don't want to. Yeah, rather yeah. Get bankrupt. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, from a from like a, from a financial, from the fact they take so much, or yeah, from a oh, I think the, product yeah. quality kind of view. Yeah, they just take so much. What, yeah. what percentage is it at the moment? Uh, like 40, so we, we were with them something. with Nightpower through like lockdown, and I think uh, Uber Eats was thirty five, and yeah. Uber was thirty. It's fucked. Like <laughs> it's, pre- it's pretty big. Like you'd come like you get your like statement in the week and you'd be like oh fucking hell yeah. is that much we lost like yeah. lost is a funny because like, they, they do get you orders yeah. it's everything these days so like, yeah. we've got a couple of systems but everyone if everyone takes their little percentage out of you like you're left with fucking nothing at the end exactly like, yeah, yeah imagine like, yeah, the, the margins on pastry got to be pretty pretty tight or is that well yeah as well like everything's gone up yeah. you know yeah, ingredients cost thing, then it's labour to do it. Yeah, that's, yeah, because everything's quite labour intensive. At the end of it. And that's, that's kind of the hard one to track is labour yeah. when you're pricing something. I think that's something that restaurants and yeah. everyone needs to look, look, look where the future is. Like when you're going, I need to charge this much for it. And you, you're going, you know, how much, how much does it cost yeah. to keep the lights on? How much is like the rent? How and much ingredients? Especially in Sydney too, like you can't really over, go, go too crazy because everyone, you've, you know, because there's price range as well. A lot of bakeries around Sydney, so you try to all be on the same mark. Yeah, so no matter yeah. what you're trying to do different, it's like, well... That's quite an interesting one where things get, like, capped at a price and as soon as you go over, like... Pe- that, people like, abuse like, you. Like, like, yeah, like, that, that can make an article <laughs> in its own, like, well, blah, think, blah, 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 charging $50 for a croissant. Well, I think, uh, who, who was it? I think it was Penny, Penny Falls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was charging, I think, $6 a croissant and it blew up. Everyone complained. Like, <laughs> it was wild. in the paper and everything. It was like, yeah. fuck, I should charge 6 bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Made me think about it. Like, how long has a coffee been capped at? Like, four fifty, exactly. four ninety. Like, it, it goes up to four eighty. Yeah, yeah, it goes. Like, it, like it, t- yeah, if you go above <laughs> that five buck mark, you'd be like, oh, it goes over five dollars and people like complain. Yeah. Like, 
fuck it's my like that through history man we, I, I worked at my mum my mum had a chain of sandwich shops in Canberra when I was growing up and um we were the first place I'd ever seen that cracked a ten dollar sandwich, and people literally <laughs> were just like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, and it's like you don't have to buy one. They'll be back yeah, tomorrow. Like, <laughs> they'll be back tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you do not, you do not need to eat this sandwich. Yeah. Like you can go find a sandwich at the servo for two dollars. Make your own. No, yeah. make your own. Yeah. You know. There are other sandwiches available. We did roast this beef like marinated overnight, and then you know yeah. roast it for you and all the rest so of it. So funny when people think like that. And yeah. then, people, then people get like in uproar about like <laughs> so wage thefts and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, Six dollar croissant though. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. It's like they. It's like this entitlement to be able to pay what you want for something. And it's like, well, well yeah, like you is, if yeah. you go to a shop and there's a pair of jeans that you want that are more expensive than you're willing to pay, you don't abuse the people for saying these <laughs> jeans are 150 bucks and I've only got 100. dollars <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, no, you just yeah. can't afford them. Like, if you want yeah. them, buy them. If you can't, don't. Mm. <laughs> Simple. Yeah, I always find that funny. <laughs> um. Let's talk a bit about how COVID's affected your business. Um, yeah, well, it's been a weird one this year. It's like yeah. we had all the bushfires, um, you know, that kicked off. That was what, last Christmas before. The, the blaseness of chefs and hospitality industry where it's like this fucking global pandemic and everyone's like, it's been a weird one. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been, been a, a weird one. Yeah, it's been, yeah, been it's, a bit odd, like I do as well. <laughs> yeah. Strange so, year. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Like, cause we, we've got a lot of Chinese customers, Asian customers. So, yeah. And, you know, coronavirus started... When did it actually start? Like it was November. March. Oh, like well, over there. Well, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. you know Chinatown was dead because I got a mate who's got a bakery in there, and it's it was like dead. It was a mm. ghost town. Like people were freaking out way before all this yeah. crap came in and benefits and so on. But mm. it was it affected us earlier, but you know prior yeah, that. Right. So it yeah, was, right. Yeah, nobody wanted to come out. That's when it really started kicking off, I guess. And then yeah, that was going on. The bushfires were going on as well. The whole city was covered in smoke and yeah. you know whole of australia was burning mm. <laughs> so nobody wanted to fucking spend money mm. everyone was depressed and then covid really kicked in mm. and then it was just yeah it was fucking one thing after another and it's just it's been quiet like we had a lot of wholesale as well doing you know bars and pubs and you know restaurants so right. that all went mm. so and then i just kind of relied on people coming in luckily my landlord was good um so they gave me a three-month kind of Free rent that's been so big there's been hasn't a few it? good things that have happened out of it so yeah i could have got fucked i've heard a lot of people have been fucked from there well that's the thing it's like there's so many places which it's like you're made or broken by your landlord 100%. and how, how nice your landlord is right, essentially yeah. like yeah, 100%. yeah. Like, I mean, um, and that's yeah like, i was lucky enough i guess on that side of things so yeah. I'm still here <laughs> yeah. i didn't yeah. think i was gonna be have you have you made any changes to the business or are you sort of looking ahead thinking in this new weird world that we're in like everyone kept going you got to change i'm like well i'm a bakery if it doesn't fucking work it doesn't work <laughs> well, that's the like, thing. there's only so much you can change a bakery and yeah doing takeaways and like it's a, it's a fucking bakery cafe it's a, yeah. yeah you know i make cakes and bread and fucking yeah there's yeah only so much you can do mm. so yeah i didn't change anything yeah, <laughs> keep pushing along mm. no, I may good. cut back on a few staff but it was good good on those sides like I think I was a bit overstaffed at the time so it made me kind of clean up a lot of my shit mm. so maybe you got a bit of time to do that too at, yeah. at one point and, yeah. um, so there were a few things we've got to clean up and really come out of it well still coming out of it I guess we're just mm. yeah still here as I said this weekend just gone has been weekend we haven't had like that since god knows when yeah, yeah. that's so awesome it was good to see yeah it was great it was finally cool yeah. coming back to normal yeah yeah um and all seemed pretty you know chilled as well not just busy but it was quite you know everyone kind of kept their distance and yeah it was never too crazy it was pretty crazy there was a line at the door all day but yeah, it was well, like, yeah. is it annoying is it is it hard to manage that like as a i mean we've talked to chefs and i've talked to simon on this podcast about how it's been implementing restrictions in a restaurant environment but like what's it like for a place like this with a lot of people a lot of turnover heaps of people coming is it hard to is it hard to well, as i said that was the really first time that it happened since right since mm. god knows when yeah but before that yeah it was kind of just normal you know mm. would do these croissant weekends or something special and it would get a bit of a crowd happening so yeah okay yeah um it all seemed fairly well on the weekend, I think. I haven't yeah. had any complaints yet, but it's only Monday, so I'm cool. sure here's something. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, all right, well, we'll start moving on, but the last thing we want to ask, I want to ask about pastry is, like, I want to talk about croissants. Is there something in particular about croissants? Like, it just seems that 
like certain there's certain things in cooking that people get hooked on and that they turn into this like project on how to like perfect a certain thing and like was there something that hooked you about croissants like Um, it seems like it's almost like a you mentioned the word engineering before it's like a Mm. Engineer, engineering and creativity sort of mixed together. I guess it was one of those things because, yeah, since I, well, I guess when I opened, like, I'd always done a bit of croissant here and there, never really full on. So I guess when I started croissant, it was like, always kept trying to perfect it, make it better. Um, you know, changing it up on a weekly basis, just seeing what I could improve. Mm. And yeah, I guess it became an obsession. Mm. Like, yeah, fucking, I just had to keep going and trying to do different stuff to yeah really perfect it mm. which i still have problems with it now like it's always still up and down but it's always can get back on track fairly quick yeah so. what, what like what gives you the downs like how do you after after all your experience how do you, you Getting, have a day letting someone else do it <laughs> 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 but um yeah so but the guy i've got at the moment has been quite good consistent so um yeah we get to improve as well so right but yeah, yeah there's always slightly changes especially because we're using sustainable flour um, plus some organic stuff through whole grain milling. Yeah. Um, so it does change in seasons. Tough, like it does. Yeah. So and you do see it. Like you know. So what's months. the difference? What's the seasonality difference in uh, the flour? So some of them would like absorb more water. Some of them won't. Um, so you get a little bit variables like that. Um, other times it's yeah. Some flowers I've used that have just been there's no structure in them. Just they just fall apart. It's like. But this flower I've got at the moment that I'm using um, has been really good. Mm-hmm. But it, as I said, it does slightly change. But you can adjust to it fairly quick, mm. so. Yeah, I think like like bread and paste like that is, is quite good for obsessive personalities, which a lot of people in hospitality have, that like that little 1% making that big outcome in the end. Um, and also just the fucking, you know, the, the mind numbing part of when your ingredients are slightly different in a slightly yeah. different time. Because like bread making, they said like the absorption rate of things can just completely fuck your, your loaf. Mm. And, and it's a tiny little thing that's gonna drive you nuts. And getting that consistency is kind of what you want. Especially when now we're coming into summer, like we've seen it change like overnight. Like it's like, fuck. And we've just got to adjust everything, I guess. Your your timing, especially here when it goes from like, oh, it's quite cold to, oh, fuck, it's boiling. (laughs) At least in the UK, it's like consistent kind of temperature and you can just adjust your your times and stuff a little bit. Yeah, but you don't Um, want to be there though, so. Well, oh yeah, fine. (laughs) No, I'm I'm still going to fucking complain about it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. classic English, that is. (laughs) All right, well, moving from the finesse and you know almost the science of croissants into like like when we look at textbooks in instagram as compared to your personal instagram john textbooks full of colorful beautiful croissants and your instagram's full of big beautiful, dead animals beautiful art. <laughs> yeah <laughs> how did you how did you get into hunting like were you a fisherman first or a, uh, a hunter yeah i've first? always uh, done a lot of spearfishing like growing up uh, my old man will always take me out yeah um, where were where where was your sort of coastal home base um, it was around Wollongong area. Right. Uh, that's where I'd do a lot of it. But my old man was living up Foster, so okay. I'd go up there a lot. And um, now I guess I live in Bondi, so I'm in the water as much as I can. Mm. Um, yeah. Every every good day that I get home and it looks good, I'll get in. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, fishing was it started. But then I kind of grew up with a friend who had a bit of property, so was hunting from about 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. Would always kind of go on those trips like every year that would go out a, to a mate's property and go, you know, hunting and became a bit of a ritual like every year every Easter cool. would go out and do that and then it just I got older and wanted my own stuff and wanted to do it more and love the the foods the best part about it and mm. I guess because I've always been in kitchens and you know restaurants and bakeries so it's like it's, it's yeah everything you could ask for mm. what um like starting starting hunting from say like the age of 15 I think well firstly let's like start off with the premise that like i think potentially hunting's um not misrepresented but maybe misunderstood by some people right like it's 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 one of the like if not the most one of the most sustainable ways to acquire food like out of anything out there aside from maybe growing your own veggies or something like that um was your decision to go hunting just like a thing because you had friends that did it and you wanted to do it like when did the sort of sustainability aspect start to be become important to you i guess the more i worked in kitchens the more i kind of you know had more kind of thought about the food i guess when i first started hunting it wasn't really about the food <laughs> it was more about just getting out there and enjoying the bush and 
walking walking around with a gun on your back and <laughs> shooting animals. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but it progressed to uh, food. Yeah, um, yeah. Sweet. And so, well, let's. I, I want to get. I want to dig into it because I don't know like too much about hunting. But like, so mm. where? Like, how does one? Start hunting. It seems like a, th- a thing that's I like hard to I guess it's get one of those into. things. It's like either you watch something and you want to do it, but yeah, I was as I said, I grew up always spearfishing and doing that sort of stuff. So hunting, I always had it in the back of my head. I wanted to hunt. I don't know why. I just really wanted to shoot deer and eat mm. deer. Mm. And so is that most that is that mostly what you go out and target deer and that sort of stuff? Pretty much. But I went out the other week, just targeted bunnies and so on, and I'll go target depending on what time of year. Um, I'll target different animals. Yeah, I like a variety in the freezer. So <laughs> yeah, and so do you, like is is meat that you've hunted yourself the majority of the meat that you eat at home? Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred like, percent. Oh, I get. <laughs> I much. still like my good steaks and that sort yeah. of stuff. But a lot of it, um, yeah, my freezers are full of fish and crabs and lobsters and meat. <laughs> so I like everything tastes better when you've caught, caught it yourself and cooked it yourself. I think. Yeah, you get to see the whole process where not many people do understand. Mm. You've butchered the animal, you've done the whole process. Mm. So I think seeing that all the way to the end is just, I don't know, you just get a re- like a good reward out of it. You mm. just, it just, yeah. Just I think it's, it's quite hard to get um, particularly good fresh game yeah. from suppliers. Like a lot of time it comes in frozen. Um, so it, like, it's something that's kind of piqued my interest. Not I've ever gone out hunting, but from, from that point of view, I'd be able to get an animal from from the point and be able to then treat it the way I want yeah. um, I mean that, that seems like an experience to be great and having that consistency of, of having your own meat then um, so I mean from, from a kind of quality standpoint yeah. um, do you see like it's, it's it's that much better when you've kind of uh, hunted it yourself yeah for me yeah 100% mm. just everything all the way the whole process is you know from start to finish is just amazing for yeah. me I like the whole butchery part of things and um, yeah I guess just self-taught butcher yeah, yeah. That's, but a lot of chef mates as well yeah. that have taught me, you know. So I can't say self-taught all the way. Yeah, but I mean, just animals like are quite similar. It's like, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you follow bones along. Like, like what, what exactly. these butchers even do all exactly. <laughs> all the work's kind of there. You just kind of run the knife down it. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of like that. Like I remember we got like a whole kangaroo in a couple of years ago, and it was like obviously it's something I'd never butchered before. It was quite quite a different kind of protein, but it was just very much like. Oh, this is kind of like a pig or a lamb or something, and yep. you just go and find the same seams and things. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And so, where, like, being from the Southern Highlands originally, is that is that where you began hunting? Is that the um, area where I you? I was going started? out past Orange. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, and I still go there now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> been going there for twenty years or plus. Yeah, this yeah, property. Right. And so, what type of like what type of deer and what type of species are you looking at? Um, out there was um, well, you had a bit of everything. You had pigs. Uh, rabbits, kangaroos, um, deer. I guess the most common deer that I shoot are fallow. Okay. Um, and everything's introduced species from England or so on or Europe. Um, so there's a lot of bit of, bit of an uproar about that. You know that they should be culled and blah blah. So yeah, I, mean, I think the thing with deer is like that. Like in Illawarra, there was like fucking deer on the beach. Yeah, exactly. Last they'll the, year, they'll like, the rooster deer. And yeah, the, the Royal National Park's full of them. Yeah, but we're not allowed so to hunt it because it's national park. Yeah, it's crazy. And but in Victoria, you're allowed to hunt National Park, but New South Wales... Yeah, do you want to talk about that? What's, like... Because I was talking to a friend who's done some hunting down in Victoria. Yep. What, what's your opinion on this, this ability to hunt National Parks or not? Uh, well, especially when, like, we're paying all our taxes, we're paying our licences, our fees, everything we need to do to have a gun licence. You know, we're putting money back into them, and then they fly up choppers and try to kill all the bloody deer and leave them dead on the ground the dpi and is that what happens in national parks it happens everywhere yeah that yeah. happens where i hunt in around the upper hunter um yeah they'll go and kill, kill them all, but mm. they won't use anything you won't you're not allowed to bring them back and you know use them yeah we're not actually allowed to use them yeah it's like and i don't understand it they're a pest and they're introduced species but they just don't i don't know it's a weird one it's like they they try not to you know let you use the game or get free food without paying for it or something yeah mm. I mean the fact that you can't like someone who's just hunted something couldn't bring it to a restaurant and yeah. sell it to them and, or you couldn't even use it in your own restaurant exactly um, there's a lot of regulations around it and especially when something is an introduced pest and, and, yeah. they're, and they're you know multiplying massively um, then it, it seems like there's an easy easy solution that we can just fucking eat the problem yeah exactly um, and um, um, forget his name who does that down in Tasmania 
uh, Vincent Trim. I think his thing mm, is sure. called Eat the Problem. And yeah, he fucking eats everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the way to go. I mean, and, and there's something like, I mean, yeah, venison is, is delicious. It's very healthy. It's and very people good. People don't you. understand it. It's like, oh, you yeah. can't eat that. It's like, why not? Oh, yeah. It's, it's like, you've got to try to talk. It's like, it's, it's, it's some of the best meat you can get. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Especially in, like, in Australia, when there's like, there's so much, so much space and they, yeah. they you know, there's, there's not too much pressure on them so they, they can live these like very healthy healthy yeah, lives exactly. in, in the wild and, and it, like there's a lot of kind of propaganda and some stuff about like um, about they can have um, you know, worms in them and, oh, and like, things like this yeah. but it's you, you take a risk when you eat any animal and like would you rather the you know antibiotic pumped up fucking chicken and hormone exactly. you know, fed beef that's allowed in this country or this you know this meat, meat sauce that's just grown in the wild yeah well it's like that like when you you know my brother He's a bit of got a bit of a hobby farm, so mm. you know we ate some of those chickens, and it's like compared to the stuff you buy in the oh. supermarket, it's like you can't even compare them. Ch- chicken's the most market one. You yeah, can, you can show someone so if you, much, yeah, if you like have a good a good chicken, and not even the the breed they use for meat chickens, where they're bred to have like yeah. massive breasts and like no legs. You see like a, a different um, a different breed of chicken, like it's like a different animal. Yeah, like mm. the legs are so much bigger, like the breast is kind of more sloped and then skinnier. Like it looks like a different animal. Mm. Like it's quite scary. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, like, what? Because I've seen, like, I've read some things about the debate in New South Wales as to whether or not we're allowed to hunt in national parks. Do you know what r- reason is given by DPI, like, that we're not? Like, is it like four wheel drives getting in there and destroying the landscape and I that sort of thing? I don't actually 100% know the whole detail, but it's weird, but we're allowed to do it in Victoria. Yeah. Like, I've got my Victorian license because I'd prefer to go buy yeah, a license right. and go. There's, there's less rules down there, less regulations. Like the DPI in New South Wales make you, if you want a state forest licence, you've got to go do surveys and everything. So you go do the surveys and they'll be like, okay, there's plenty there, we'll go kill them all. Yeah, right. So they want you to do all these surveys for them yeah. to help them out and then they decide, oh, we'll cope. We'll so cope is that how now. it works in, in New South Wales to get a lot? Like, because I'm interested. How, like, do you have to, so you have to get a gun licence, but then you also have to get a licence to be able to hunt in a state forest. That's if you want to go down that way. But if you've got private property, you just need a letter from yeah. the owner just saying that you shoot the feral species on that property. Right. And you, you don't have to join a gun club that way, which that's what I do. So right. a couple of letters. I don't have a state forest licence. Right. I've so got the Victorian one, but that's... So you can hunt on private... So, but how do hunters then... Like, if I was to start hunting and I don't know anyone that's got private property, do you kind of just get involved in the community or yeah, you're like, oh, there's I, clubs I know you. you. Join and, yeah. And that's another thing with Instagram. Like, fuck, some people I've met over Instagram with hunting that kind of are all great people and, you know, they just spread the word and you get invited out to places. Like, it's... That's actually been quite big in hunting as well, Instagram, I think. Um, and, yeah. So yeah. that's yeah, worked. Because it'd be quite a solo adventure for some people as yeah. well so there wouldn't be too much community involved in it yeah yeah so a lot of people that. just do their solo things but i like to always go with a couple of mates yeah yeah Does it, yeah so so through instagram you like meeting people like oh i've got a property out here and we've got x x y and z species on the property come out yeah and you get a lot of people that kind of keep it to themselves and don't like to share but you get you meet some good people that you know and especially down in victoria and that sort of stuff a lot where you can it's all open land like you can go mm. hunt wherever they let you Mm. You don't have to book in. You've got God knows how many, you know, places to hunt there. It's just, like, unlimited. Mm. Um, so, so it seems like there's a lot of a lot of hoops to jump through to get started. I remember Tom, my business partner, he had a friend who was big into hunting, and Tom quite gets, like, onto things and normally kind of follows through to the extreme, but he kind of got stopped at hunting when I think he got to all the, you have to get this license and then this thing and that thing. And even for someone who's quite obsessive, that kind of stopped him in his tracks actually going any further with it so he still has not been hunting yet with his mate who he promised he'd go hunting with yeah a lot of work a lot of work to get i guess i met i I had yeah i met some good people along the way and they've kind of you know and i still hunt with one of them now which i hunt with most him mostly Mm. um i met him at a chef's dinner just drinking beers one night and been hunting ever since (laughs) (laughs) maybe people have this conception that people um enjoy the process of like killing an animal that's there's some sort of like sadism involved in in hunting where it's like well i just want to kill stuff but mm. like i think you get a few people like that there, there's probably are people like that right yeah. yeah i usually think about what i'm going to cook with it before i shoot it right <laughs> yeah that's something in my head but it's not about killing it first it's like what i'm going to cook mm. and then if i miss i'll usually pissed off at myself i'm like fuck <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna cook this and now i fucked it yeah <laughs> i think that's the the kind of quandary is 
if, if you're doing it purely for I want to kill an animal, that, that's a bit weird. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, like, but for a food resource and for that kind of, um, you know, being, you know, being out in the, in the bush and that kind of time spent out there and, and feeling kind of a bit more connected to the land, I think that is a, is a pursuit. Is, is kind of a good thing and, and even um, I was looking at your Instagram yesterday with my vegan girlfriend um, <laughs> who's a big fan of, uh, of, of textbook and didn't, didn't know you hunted um, she's, she's a pretty good vegan but yeah she, and she was like oh it's quite com- it's quite confronting isn't it and I'm like I think it should be well that's like, it should be that's confronting. what people don't know mm. people don't know and they think they can just buy it out of a plastic plastic wrapper and they think they don't have to think about the rest exactly. and it's like but yeah, the amount of arguments I've gotten into over Instagram and yeah. everyone giving me shit. It's like, well, but then yet they will eat meat, but they don't know what right. goes into it. And there's probably more torture in these abattoirs these days that exactly. you hear about and you see as documentaries out there and all that sort of shit. Those people that are working in there are fucked up people. Like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's, they thrive on fucking killing mm. shit. Like mm. they, they're probably mass murderers down the track somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, uh, yeah, I think it kind of people, yeah, like I said, people just get very shocked by it. And it's like, you, you eat this. Like, this is yep. the form it's in. Like, it was an animal. And I think um, people need to understand that. And I mean, I think you should, I mean, and that, like, that will go a long way to people possibly in less meat by understanding that, you know, that this, there is a, a death has occurred here yeah. for you to have this. We should be respectful of it. We should eat the whole animal. We shouldn't be just eating, you know, tenderloin and exactly. filling stuff the whole time. That must like, be a big part of hunting too, right, is like eating eating the whole beast. Well, you can get everything out of it, the heart, the mm. liver. Like, it's some of the best stuff there. Yeah. And then, yeah, you got all the meat. There's so much on there as well. So mm. what's, your, what's your favourite? Like, what's, the, what's your favourite cut of whatever game animal that you, you might regularly um, hunt? favorite cut probably be the venison like there's a cut inside the back leg it's like a like a loin which is like my face like looks like a veal almost it's got that lighter color to it mm. right <laughs> yeah yeah that's my favorite part right of a deer and that one's nice and tender like just just yeah. straight oh, yeah. on the barbie or straight on the grill hang it for a, yeah like hang it for a couple of weeks anyway m- most of a deer is pretty tender yeah like mm. the only bit like like the shin you know, the shang is only bit i've ever braised yep. venison and it's still yeah. not like you have to add a lot of shoe back into it to make it kind of juicy and braised but um, yeah the rest of it is, is, is very lean very healthy yeah, meat exactly mm, um, cool I think that was the first time we were trying to source kangaroo liver and that was the first time I realised that you couldn't actually even from uh, commercial hunters you can't have uh, wild offal it's illegal to serve right because uh, they don't because you can't track their diet so there could be again something in there that's, that could be harmful apparently yeah I think the yes well depending on what animals but kangaroos I wouldn't they eat grass you know what I mean yeah like, but how bad is it going to go yeah exactly like I would still give it a pigs go pigs I understand because they'll eat meat when they can and so on yeah exactly and they're the ones that you kind of yeah that's in like that slightly similar biology to us where there can be transfer exactly. of diseases and stuff but yeah yeah we want to get some kangaroo liver mm. we want to make parfait yeah that'd be good yeah venison yeah. liver parfait is pretty good as well yeah, so yeah all that yeah. sort of stuff yeah again and you just can't get these things and again yeah. it's another another cool resource yeah so you, you, like game offal you literally cannot buy unless you hunt yeah unless, like, well that's like, the best yeah. thing about it as well like some of the meat you get it's like you can't you can't buy it yeah yeah. And that's, sure. I think that makes it feel a bit more special as well especially when you're cooking it but yeah. every barbecue I have I've got friends over that have never eaten it before and I'll, I'll always cook it at a barbecue and they'll be like what's that and be like it's venison yeah where do you get that from I'm like shot it here's yeah. a photo <laughs> they're like, oh, oh. <laughs> but I like doing that sort of stuff. Yeah, and it yeah. changes some people's, you know, minds. Um, but yeah, Instagram again is one of those worlds where everyone just wants to press buttons and abuse you for killing animals. But mm. it's like, well, the worlds yeah, are colliding. The world. the world of pastry collides with the world of hunting. With you, John, people yeah. um, <laughs> people find you through textbook and then they well, realise you're a hunter. When all this thing kind of did happen with textbook and you know things went viral, but everyone started following me. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, it was an overnight thing. Mm. I had to turn the phone off. I had people getting around abuse me. Oh, you murderer! I'm like, you, you fucking press the follow button. Yeah, yeah, fuck you, off. You <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was like, yeah, overnight. Like the amount of just abuse came in. I'm like, you fucking followed me. I make cakes and pretty yeah. croissants, and then they come onto your page your personal page and it's like well he kills animals it's yeah. like, well, so you don't like, know anything about me so like, fuck how do you think I got that meat for that pie in the fucking world <laughs> yeah, yeah. you ate the fucking thing yeah it's yeah. yeah. like, yeah, a, so, a wild thought for that is it is it like is that sort of shit hard hard to deal with like I, I guess like you know having Instagram and 
I guess social media has sort of created this transparency in the hospitality industry where people know who people know the chefs these days. Like before Instagram, before social media, it was like you read about chefs through, you know, Good Food, Gourmet Traveller, whatever publication you read, and you, you know you might see a photo every now and then. You might have heard of Tetsuya or like whoever because yeah. that's the name of their restaurant. Um, but now, like you know who who's behind these success, successful venues. Is it a, like? Is it draining? Is it is it like fuck? I wish I didn't have to deal with like people at first, getting up in my shit basically. Yeah, you know? at, at first when it all did first kick off and everyone it kind of pissed me off and I was like, you know, always abusing back. It I'd always abuse back. You know, and it was like <laughs> now I just don't give a fuck. I'm yeah, just like yeah. whatever, fucking delete. Yeah, I'll get into an argument it. every now and then just to you know get into an argument. Yeah, like, yeah, just, just really now like I just it. don't really care. I just delete it. So yeah. fucking move on. I yeah. think like it can it can be a worry. Like saying the Instagram, like you know, social media is so big that yeah, some people it just affects them. And they can't yeah. handle it. And, oh, it was, you know. When we first opened Kavo, it was, pretty, it was pretty tough. Like, I mean, not something we had dealt with directly. And like, obviously, we, we didn't get any particular backlash or you know, the old bad review here and there. But yep. like, it would be like, like, we'd be, like, when we first opened, we were checking reviews like every couple of days on every app. And eventually, I just had to like blanket stop doing it. Yeah. Because I was just like always just checking. Oh, and, like, reviews. Yeah. And you, you, get, you get 10 good ones and you'd be like, okay, cool, everything's fine. And you get like one half bad one. You'd be like, what the fuck is this? And that would be like the yeah. only thing you're thinking about. But we, yeah, we got a little bit of backlash. We did a, a spot on Studio 10 and we cooked kangaroo and we got some backlash from these like anti-kangaroo groups or anti-eating kangaroo groups and they like left like bad reviews on the, on the, on the Facebook. Like, people go out of their way yeah, just sent to emails, fuck, you, like, fuck with you. Yeah, it's going off on Twitter <laughs> and stuff. And, like, and it was one of those things where we were just like, and I think I, I, know, I had another one with like a local vegan page shared like a wallaby tail dish I did and it started kicking off and then like some Aboriginal woman kind of piped back and was like, "No, oh, it's blah, blah. And they like, they end up taking the whole thing down. It was just like, that was weird. I did provoke at one time. I think it was World <laughs> Vegan Day. And I did, yeah, right. I, I did do a little post. I think it was like 300 comments later. Mm. It was fucking went out of control. I was like, Jesus Christ, it was a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some people couldn't handle the joke. It's yeah. pretty easy to pipe, get, get people riled up, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it's that thing of... I mean, it does, kind of, it does change your, like what you might post and what you might not. Like, there's been some posts that like, I mean, you can get to a point where you're just like, I don't care, like, we've got a customer base. But if you, you know, most people are kind of ticking along and, and you can't, and you do have to worry about what you post and what effect that might have and whether that's going to piss some people off, you're going to offend someone or whatever it is. And it, like, it can become a bit of a minefield of trying to navigate. I think it has, well, on my personal page mainly, like it started off like really bad, but now just like, now I think the people that are following me know. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. well, I don't, cop the amount of bullshit I used to cop like yeah, right. there might be occasional one or two here and there but it's like from yeah. what it was to everyone abusing the hell out of to now it's like oh okay maybe maybe I'm training them yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, at least you filtered out the ones you're going to yeah exactly I don't, yeah. I don't want those followers anyway I don't really care yeah mm. so it's not the business it's my personal page so it's, exactly a, it's an interesting thing like it's just this it's yeah it's this weird contradiction in a way too where people will abuse people on social media to to make a point right so like they might be really passionate about the environment cool like i'm passionate about the environment we're passionate about the environment and sustainability and we all integrate different things into our lives to try to push that forward and then the same that comes with animal rights like people might you know have really solid like you, you know just at the heart of who they are they just really care about animals and 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 whatever it is but like there's no compassion when it comes to the psych- psychology of the people that you're interacting with online. It's like you can be like compassionate for the environment and compassionate for animals, yet you'll go and really fuck with the mental health well, of someone yeah. online. And it's like, are you, what about compassion for yeah. like people? I understand. Some people, yeah, yeah, I definitely like. Well, so would rather going out to close your business. Like, like yeah. they, they would love that. Yeah. Like, mm. yeah, like some, some people well. fucking yeah, uh, next level like that. Mm. They they don't care. Like yeah, they. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's I mean, a like, weird contradiction, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like legit. Some people are like, like I mean, that, that's why they, why people would leave bad reviews for something like that is because they want other people not to go, and therefore for your business to suffer and probably close. Like that's pretty fucking, pretty tough on anyone. Yeah, like, yeah. if you go, if you're going out to do that, that's that's, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah, mm. I, had, I had one one of those actually, mm. and um, she actually said like, this is when I was running the Instagram which is probably bad for the business. <laughs> it's and been taken off you now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pay someone to do it now. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and yeah, it literally she goes, I'm going to tell everyone about this. I'm going to, you know, because she bought a croissant, left it out for fucking three days. It went sour. Mm. She took it to work on Monday and complained and wanted her money back because 
I supposedly gave her fucking sour croissants and it was like and she went to the news and everything and put it all over it was like wow. top of the news that night I read, I read that it was when actually, I was prepping for this it went out of control it was yeah. like and she, she said you had a go at her though didn't you she said all this to me first yeah she goes I'm going to fucking bad mouth yeah, you and your yeah. business and yeah, this and right. that like, and fuck it I gave her 110% mate. she went <laughs> she did the effort it was fucking good on her yeah but um yeah yeah, it's fucking... Any publicity track. is good publicity, John. Well, that's what I said. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially when it's like... You've got to stick to your guns. Yeah. And when it's obvious someone like... I think like oh, she, people run that and... She told me like she'd left it out. Yeah. And then she took, brought it back to me and she said, well, nobody told me. I'm like, it's a fucking bake book. Oh. should be eaten oh. on a day. It's yeah. common sense. It's why is it fucking up to my front of house staff to let you... Not to tell you to keep it for a week before yeah. you fucking give it to friends. I mean, we all, yeah, we also didn't tell you to leave it out for three yeah. days. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. Your staff should have told me. I'm yeah, like, yeah, oh, just like tell you all the, the things you shouldn't. And, do. and she like, was a food blogger. She should fucking know better. Oh, yeah, wow. exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's not, a good look, not a good look for a blog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if it's yeah, like she didn't realise to keep a pastry. I, I thought I won on top of that one. Yeah, I, thought yeah. I'd, I definitely came out better. It did bring the business down a little bit after that. Yeah, and a lot of people give me back. How dare you call the Mike? I'll just send them. Scr- I send them screenshots of what she was writing to me. Yeah, like, well, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Mm. So your friend is a cunt. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the the life of a business owner, and now and now you are you no longer run the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> um, last question about hunting and about uh, pastry. Like hospitality is a hectic industry, and you know stressful. How much does being able to go hunting or diving? Um, like level you out be, be able to sort of provide that balance because I think that especially potentially running a business in the city like where me and Simon are from a regional place where we've got a lot of space and it's it's easier to connect with nature and, and kind of you know Simon does a lot of foraging I, I spearfish myself and fish and stuff I'm not a business owner but um well not a hospitality business owner but uh is that is that like really really important for you for me 100% I don't think I, I wouldn't be where I am right now if I didn't do that and I've always done it so it's come natural to me so I, I find the time, mm. uh, I make the time, and I do it. And yeah. yeah, come back from a hunting trip, back to work, you're just refreshed, you can think straight. Like the, you know, the weeks you spend sometimes in the kitchen where you're just like day in, day out, you, you get fucked, you mm. burn out, and it's like, you know, seen it, been there. But yeah, getting back out in the kitchen, getting out of the kitchen, yeah, just foraging, whatever, you know, just being outdoors. doesn't even have to be hunting, it can be picking mushrooms or whatever, it's just anything just staying out in the bush overnight so getting in the water same it's all just gets your head out of that kind of zone where you're not thinking too much mm. yeah it's definitely something we've we've always um shown our chefs like what what we're going to forage and you know, change the seasons where to find it and then we'll sort of leave it up to them to to go out even if you know they're, they're 20 minutes later for work because they've gone and picked up some stuff they need for their section um but i think it's it's it kind of all ties into better well-being um Especially after we did the we did a podcast on mental health and the the focus the guy put on like getting sunlight every day was just something I was like, uh maybe that explains some things. Like <laughs> yeah, it's like that ten minute walk to work is the only sun I get all day and then yeah, even it's it dark. So there was some restaurants I was working in where you'd always get the ferry over or oh. something. So it's like it was actually I mean, just quite refreshing, just in, simple in, things like that. Yeah. In the UK you like it's very easy to go to work and it's dark in the morning oh, 100%, and that, come home from work and it's dark. That was my whole time in London, yeah. I think. And you, that you fucked me a bit. It was like five years of just sixteen plus hour days yeah. and just you dream about work, you just work, yeah, work, work, constant. work, work. Yeah, mm. and I mean, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's harder again in cities, especially in London, where it's very dense to actually be able to find any, you know, any any greenery, any kind of patches of grass that's not fucking full of twats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it's something we've kind of always always focused on is showing our our staff to how to forage and and they can go out and get stuff. And I mean, one of our ex staff has a little foraging business now. Um, I think we we showed him his sort of first step, so it's mm. kind of cool to see that people carrying on. Cool. Um, John, is there anything coming up for textbook coming up for you that you want to make us aware of before we wrap it up? Um, Just sure. business as normal. Yeah, there is, <laughs> there is another thing that. in the pipe, uh, pipeline at the moment, so might be opening something else, but we'll see what happens. Mm, okay, so, but that's we'll see. Stay tuned. Let yeah. us let us know. Mm. Yeah. All right, guys. I think we maybe leave it there, right? Eh? Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much, John. Cheers, Thank mate. you. Thanks Cheers. for having
Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or The Food Fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's Simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.